Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to look at uh, a lot of different things. I w- we've just finished our study on Habakkuk, and uh, we've got most of that up uh, at Preparing You, where you can go and review that. We've done Hosea, and we've done a lot of other of the uh, minor prophets, as well as a lot of the New Testament, where we have gone through those epistles and chapters uh, one by one, every single week we add more and more to our Bible section at preparingyou.com. And uh, because of a lot of questions that come my way through the network, the Living Network and Facebook and just in real life, um, we're constantly adding uh, because of these conversations with the different ministers in the network, etc., we're adding to these websites like preparingyou.com to prepare you, prepare you for life in general. And a number of the things that we have coming up uh, is our study on Zephaniah. I've been going through that pretty regular. Uh, but I, what I w- like to do is go through and read all the commentaries that are available, and there's quite a few available. Zephaniah is kind of the revelation of the Old Testament. He's not necessarily uh, one of the most prolific uh, prophets, but uh, very interesting approach uh, in his writing and and bringing that writing, uh, like the writings of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Obadiah and Joel, and like I said, we've done Hosea and Habakkuk, bringing it bringing it up to date into. Our world today is very important in order to prepare you for what is coming, uh, which is tomorrow. That's always tomorrow is coming. Uh, something is is coming down and in your life, in my life, in everybody's life, and we should do what we can to prepare ourselves to deal with whatever is coming in our life. And it will be different for all of us, although we see national and international trends of change in the wind uh, going about in all the different societies. Uh, We just heard on the news uh, where they're talking about uh, more mandates in Austria. And uh, I just heard from people in Sweden this morning at about 4.30 that uh, they're looking for people to go with them to marches and protests in Sweden, which are not suffering the kind of lockdowns that we're dealing with. Uh, and I've seen uh, conversations with a lot of people who uh, go with the narrative that they're seeing in their news. And they believe they are following science because they saw a news report. And the news report is not really following the science. So therefore, they're impression or perception of what's going on in relationship to pandemics and shutdowns and and political power grabs and all these things is tainted by the information coming in. 
And uh, the the fact is, is this deception and confusion is coming because we sit in darkness. And we sit in darkness because we do not want to see the truth. A lot of people talk about my truth, your truth. And the reality is there is only the truth. The, your truth is your opinion of the truth. And your opinion of the truth is filtered through pre-existing knowledge that you may have and you may lack a certain knowledge. It's also filtered through your own desires and ambitions. It's filtered through your imagination, what you think somebody said. And we can look at other things in the news to see how this... And it's always better to look at other people's problems, especially if you're doing a radio broadcast... Uh, because of the fact that uh, rather than uh, try to deal with individual specific problems, because of the fact we have to speak in generalities, and it's easier for you to look at other people's problems. But the only value in looking at other people's problems is to get a clearer picture of your own. Because you seeing other people's problems will probably not help them nor you unless you relate them to your problems. This is why when we look at the prophets, I try to relate it, what they're talking about in their day, to what's going on in our day. Because it's, it's, you're not going to solve any of the problems that Zephaniah was dealing with way back in his day. But the reality is, is Zephaniah, which actually is a Hebrew word that actually means Yahweh has hidden or Yahweh has protected, like hidden, hidden you from danger. Well, hiding you from danger is actually bringing you the light because there's nothing more dangerous than darkness or at least because of what can sneak up on you in the darkness. And I see a lot of things coming you know, towards the people, and the people may think those things are sneaking up on them, but the reality is, is that once you are in the light, you can see them clearly. But if you remain seated in darkness, even if I explain them, you will not see. And I, a prime example of this is also in the news is the Kyle Rittenhouse trial which uh, I only got a chance to listen to part of the testimonies of that trial uh, when I'm out with a sheep and near some sort of uh, device where I can uh, get uh, some bandwidth. Uh, I was doing work in our office out there and was able to play some of it in the background as I was working and and improving the quality of the uh, and, and habitation of the office. The office is... Uh, been moved uh, by God years ago. We put it out there on a trailer so that we could move it about uh, on the church property. But uh, uh, God evidently had another idea, and He uh, we had it chained down in four places, and He ripped it out of the ground with a strong wind, blew it 50 feet uphill, and dropped it on the top of the hill. I had put it down in the Gully thinking it'd be some protection from the wind, but actually it needed to be on top of the hill, evidently, which was good because we had better reception up there. <laughs> so, but we erected it and cemented it down. It's no longer a mobile office. Anyway, 
in my spare time, I get to work on it a little bit. But I was listening to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and uh, I noticed early on is that the uh, the prosecuting attorney was making the case for Kyle. That it was self-defense. All of his witnesses that he was bringing forth were testifying that Kyle was under attack. That he was being attacked. People were hitting him in the head with skateboards like a baseball bat. And they were kicking him. And they were uh, saying that I'm going to kill you. And if I get you alone, then he got him alone. And he chased him down and knocked him down. And and uh, they were attacking him. And then, now the jury didn't know this. But all these people that were involved in this, attacking Kyle and threatening Kyle and trying to kill Kyle... And pointing guns at Kyle and firing guns behind Kyle as he was trying to flee their attacks. They were all criminals. They weren't out there protesting anything. They were criminals. They were out there because somebody had the bright idea of calling the police back and saying, don't engage with the protesters. Well, this just gave license to criminal activity that was going around wreaking all the havoc they could, destroying property, setting fires, and attacking Kyle. And this came out from the the DA, the guy prosecuted. <laughs> it was it was astounding. I was thinking like, so where's his case? You know but the reality is and I see this later with uh stories now that a lot of people and people I even know uh, are thinking, well, you know, that he just shot these people, that he was just out hunting people, and that he, you know, they were just standing there, and he shot them. And I'm thinking, like, where are you getting this information? And they're getting it from the media who tells a different story. But there were people who actually sat in the trial every day and saw every little bit of it. And they still couldn't see the fact that the case... For Kyle was made by the district attorney. And of course, the uh, defense attorneys brought out these details as well in cross-examining and laid them out so clearly that this young man who came there to put out fires, that was the reason why he was attacked originally uh, by the first uh, assailant, who wasn't a victim, he was attacking Kyle. He said he was going to kill him if he got him alone, got him alone, and was chasing him down and grabbing at the gun to take it from him. And uh, and Kyle finally fired back to stop him. A man who had said just shortly before, I'm going to kill you if I get you alone. And, of course, he got Kyle alone. And what was Kyle? Why was he chasing Kyle? Well, Kyle had put out one of the fires this guy was starting. He had put it out with a fire extinguisher and uh, and then attacked Kyle for putting out his fire. The, the audacity. <laughs> it's just amazing. But anyway, uh, you, you watch this and you think, well, this is so cut and dry. And I've, I've sat in courtrooms uh, for over 50 years, for over half a century. As a child, my dad took me into courtrooms. When I was younger than Kyle. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had lunch and he explained, uh, you know, what 
the procedures were and what was going on and uh, and I found it all fascinating. I think my father wanted me to become an attorney. Uh, but uh, th- when I was watching all this, I-, I see that the news reports now come out. I, I looked at an ABC report about 4 o'clock this morning when I got up. And uh, it- it- they're saying that they fear that this verdict may empower vigilantism. I, I think people need to look up that word vigilantism. <laughs> It doesn't do anything like that. What empowered vigilantism was telling the police to stand down and not defend property and defend people um, during these riots. Now, there were protesters out there. A lot of people don't realize it, but protesters actually joined with some of the people that came to protect businesses. Protesters actually wanted to see the violence stop too. But a lot of the people out there were not protesters. Uh, that, you know, Huber, he was not out there protesting. He, he was a convicted criminal. Jury didn't know that. All the people shot were people that had committed crimes before that night <laughs> in their life had a series of crimes that they had committed. Uh, child molesters, burglars, uh, you know, uh, Huber had attacked several women and had charges against him for beating women. And uh, his parents were in the courtroom. And uh, I thought it was interesting, John Huber and, and his mother evidently has remarried. Her name is Karen Bloom. Maybe she never took the Huber name. I don't know their history. But they sat there and... They said that today's verdict means there is no accountability for the person who murdered, that's the statement, (laughs) murdered our son. Well, he didn't murder your son. Your son was trying to kill him. Smash his head in with a skateboard. That's, and he, he was attacking him and coming at him again and he got shot. And he was a part of a mob at that point that were yelling to kill Kyle. That was your vigilantes. Those people attacking Kyle, those were vigilantes. That was your mob violence going out. And they not only were vigilantes, they were creating new law. It was now against the law to put out fires in their minds. And so therefore they are attacking Kyle. You have to get to a state of cognitive dissonance to think that that's okay to attack the guy trying to put out the fire. Uh, I remember somebody had started a fire and I, uh, the, their kids had fl- fled the home and, and came through the woods and ended up in a house where I was visiting somebody. We were dealing with injustices in courts at that time. And we happened to be there talking. And these kids all showed up at the door. And we asked them, so what's the deal? And they said, their dad is crazy. He, he, he's, he's gone crazy. And he, he's, uh, set our house on fire. And my mom said to, 
to flee through the woods and come here. And I says, well, where's your mom now? And so anyway, I went through the woods and to find the house. And sure enough, the house was on fire. At least it was smoking at an air conditioner uh, in the window. And the husband was nowhere around. The wife and child, uh, one other child, smaller child, were gone. Just the uh, other boys and a daughter, I think, came over to where we were at. And uh, uh, we called the fire department, and the fire department showed up. And I tried to talk to the firemen, and it was interesting. The firemen, you know, I'm tapping on the door. They got, they pulled up in the fire truck, and they're not getting out. And I'm tapping on the door, and they're ignoring me, you know, because they're just going to focus on the fire, I guess. But I, I'm I'm trying to talk to them. And they just ignore. They just leave the door shut, and and uh, they they're focused on their business. And finally, when they opened up the door, not acknowledging me or doing anything, they're going to go over and start putting out the fire, which was mostly smoke at this point. I said the guy who started this, which he, the fire in the was actually started when he fired a gun into the air conditioner, and the air conditioner began to do this smoking. But uh, when he had done that, then he drove off before I got there. But that's what I got from the information when I arrived. And uh, I said, the guy who started this left with a gun. Suddenly, they heard me. (laughs) Nothing like mentioning a gun to awaken somebody's attention. Anyway, so they... They then called for police backup because I said, I don't know if he's coming back, but he's got a gun when he left. So anyway, they thought, well, maybe this guy has some information that's useful. (laughs) They never did talk to me, but anyway, they did get the fire out. But uh, it was an interesting conversation with the boys later is that their dad was crazy and their dad was nuts. And they had such a low opinion of their dad and that he was so mean and evidently the dad had several jobs and he was having problems with depression and they were having financial difficulties because the wife was spending money like it was going out of style, buying all kinds of stuff. And the kids were upset because the father wouldn't come up with several hundred dollars to go to a church rafting event so that some of the kids could go rafting. And uh, anyway, he fell asleep, woke up, and they were they woke him up and were asking for more, more money. And they were referring to, as they were relating the story to me, their dad is so selfish. He's so selfish. He wouldn't let us go on this rafting trip that was going to cost several hundred dollars for all the kids that were going to go. And I thought, like, your dad's got two, you know, and just in the conversation we were having, well, we kept the kids there for quite a while until finally we could get a hold of other family members that could come and take them. So the kids were, I was questioning the kids and trying to find out what all the details were. The, the kids thought their father was selfish. Their father is working like 70 hours a week to pay the bills. And the wife is evidently working about 60 hours a week spending money. (laughs) And when he woke up and he said, though, I'm not putting out any more money for this rafting trip. We can't afford it. She wanted to put it on the credit card. So he went in and started cutting up the credit cards. 
because we can't afford it, he's saying. And the kid's interpretation is that he is being selfish. They have no concept. I asked the kids, where, where does the money come from? Well, they have credit cards. That's where money comes from. You, you use credit cards to get what you want. I says, you know, somebody's got to pay off those credit cards. They had no idea that somebody had to come up with money to actually pay off the credit cards. And these are not super little kids. These are teenagers. Young teenagers, but teenagers. And, uh, you know, anyway, the course of the conversation is that they, I could see the look on their face as I started explaining certain things. Now, the, the father had taken medication for his depression and then took a nap. And, uh, because he had to get up and go to work again. He'd just come home from work. And he was going to have to go to work again. This was a Saturday. And uh, because he had these several jobs. He actually had three jobs, but two pretty full-time jobs in order to make the money so that they could just keep charging stuff to credit cards. <laughs> so anyway, and he kind of flipped out. Uh, the medication, a couple of beers that he had had that day, and uh, inadequate sleep probably finally triggered a psychotic episode and probably centered around the drugs. And he, after he tore up and the, the wife is yelling at him, don't tear up the credit cards and don't cut them up, uh, he ended up getting a rifle and somehow or other there was bullets fired into the air conditioner and it started to smoke. But anyway... Uh, he got all his kids taken away from him and went to jail and all these other things. None of which is probably going to solve a problem. But I was astounded at the fact that the kids could not see, when they were finally had somebody explaining some of this to them, that you could see the little lights going on in their minds. But evidently, Karen Bloom and John Huber, they think that after seeing all the evidence that they think that their son was murdered. They don't see their son as the attacker. You know, hitting this guy in the back of the head with a skateboard like a baseball bat. More people are killed with baseball bats than and hammers than with AR-15s. And that's just statistically the fact. This This is a lethal weapon. That was being used against Kyle. And why? Because he put out a fire. And they couldn't see it. Sitting there seeing the evidence, they couldn't see it. They they went on to say it sends this unacceptable message that armed civilians can show up in any town and cite violence and then use the danger they have created to justify shooting people in the street. What danger did they create? The danger was people were starting fires and destroying property and attacking people. That's the danger. But they couldn't see that. These parents couldn't see that. Why couldn't they see that? But more important, what can't you see that may be keeping you blind to the truth that may overrule your truth? Well, we'll have to explore that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom.
Well, welcome back to Keith the Kingdom. So, anyway, we're talking about uh, this ability of people to see the truth. Not their truth. Everybody can see their truth, which is their opinion. But they can't see the truth. And why can't they see the truth? What What is getting in the way? Well, of course, we have quotes in the Bible that talk about lack of knowledge and lack of information. But knowledge comes from the tree of knowledge. And eating of the tree of knowledge is a serious problem. That's what got us into trouble to begin with. Instead, we should be eating of the tree of life. But yet, there is a place for knowledge. But it is not to be the source of our choices and decisions. But we can use knowledge to help us with our unbelief in the tree of life, the Holy Spirit, the tree of life. Let's, we, we can argue it at another point, but let's, when we say tree of life, let's look at the tree of life as the Holy Spirit. I don't think it was an actual tree that had certain kind of fruit on it. <laughs> it's symbolic of this tree of life, life has to do, the word life there has to do with spirit and soul. And the tree of life is our soul tapping into the Holy Spirit, the Rosh Hashanah, which they talk about in the Old Testament. So anyway, the the reality is that we get entangled in the things of the world, entangled in the tree of knowledge. And we become confused because even though we have all this information, these people over here get the same information that these people over here, but they see something different because they're filtering the information that they're getting through their preconceived notions. You know, also in the news this week was uh, uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, who said that everybody should get the vaccination because Jesus would have got the vaccination which a lot of people I know thought that that was crazy talk. (laughs) They didn't think, well, like, where does he get that from? (laughs) And there was a line of reasoning that brought him to that statement. But it did seem strange. But anyway, he just had open-heart surgery because he has inflammation of the lining of his heart, which is a common... Uh, predicted uh, symptom that comes from the vaccination, which is what we're seeing a lot of people getting. So the fact that he got the vaccination that he thinks Jesus would have got, he now has had part of that sack removed, I guess, in an operation on his heart because of this inflammation in the sack around his heart. So that's that's pretty serious, but anyway, that's that's Franklin Graham's problem with reality. You know that he doesn't necessarily. I don't think he knows Jesus. I don't think he really understands Jesus. I know his father had some serious problems with understanding the gospel of the kingdom, and I think he began to realize that in the latter days of his life. And we may be in the latter days of Franklin's life, and there's certain things that Franklin hasn't seen either. But again, the important thing is, what aren't you seeing? Because, you know, the only reason you need to know what 
Franklin's not seen is so that you can maybe help Franklin. But it's what you're not seeing that can help you. And then if we help you, you will have the opportunity to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which will involve you helping others. Because that is one of the key statements of both Moses and Jesus Christ, if you want to call it a directive, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, love is doing things that actually help your neighbor, you know, that strengthen the poor. Just, you know, when we say help your neighbor, love your neighbor, you know, your love can be detrimental to your neighbor if it's not the love of Christ, the love that Christ had for one another. Because it has to be a love that strengthens the poor and your neighbor, not weakens them. Because throwing welfare at them can actually weaken them, make them dependent. And we're going to actually bring that into the course of the conversation today because we're going to mention something called enmeshment. But we're not going to do a show on that yet. We'll we'll save that. But we will mention it because it's all related to the topic at hand. But if you go back to Exodus 14.3, we'll see that the Pharaoh will say to uh, of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. Now, what is he talking about? Because there's numerous places that the word entangle or entanglement, uh, or entangleth show up in the Bible. But that's the only place I find it in the King James translation. The word that you're actually dealing there with is, uh, be it Bob Resh, uh, which again is, this Biet is household, and Vav is the separating letter, and Resh is uh, a letter that usually stands for authority. So the house is separated from authority. And so what does that cause? That causes this entanglement in the land. And and it's only translated entangled once. Normally it's translated uh, perplexed. And uh, it actually means perplexed or confused. So they're confused in the land, perplexed in the land. Well, when I look out in America today and in the world or in Austria or Australia, I see a lot of confusion, a lot of perplexity. And it's the result of entanglement, which is the reason I'm mentioning this right here is this word enmeshment has to do with the same type of confusion, the same type of separation of the authority within the family. And when we talk about enmeshment, we're going to talk about hierarchy in the family. And that's a bad thing, supposedly, today, you know, because of, you know, um, Jordan Peterson talks about hierarchy. And the people talk about patriarchal hierarchy. And uh, they don't understand what they're talking about. Even Jordan Peterson, as bright as he is and as wonderful as he is for the, the subject matter that he brings up and the conversation that he has... There are certain things he does not see either. And now I know that there are things I do not see because I see something new every day. So yesterday I didn't see the things that I saw new today. So uh, 
Because that is one of the elusive things about the truth. If you have an opinion of the truth that you formed yesterday, it may not apply today. Because <laughs> the truth is is consistently transitory. Because the truth is in the moment. And the moment is always moment to moment. We live in a space-time continuum in a universe of cause and effect. So, you only find the truth in the moment. Now, the truth itself, I mean, the principles of the truth remain the same all the time. But, you know, uh, it's like taking aim. You take aim at a coyote out in the field, and he's moving, maybe. He's running. It's nice if you hold still. <laughs> And then you can fire a bullet and it will, and, and if you've accounted for the distance and the arc of the bullet, hopefully it will hit him at 400 yards. <laughs> and I know people who have taken 400 yard shots at a moving coyote and hit him out there on the desert. 400 yard shot at a moving coyote standing and shot and hit the coyote. <laughs> That's good shooting. I'd be lucky to hit him at, at 40 feet. <laughs> but, although I have pulled off a few long shots. But the reality is, is that the motion of the coyote and the motion of the bullet have to come and meet in order to, for the, the bullet to hit the target. And so when you're looking at something out there in the world, it's in motion in time and space. And so the absolute truth of what you're looking at does change because its position in time and space changes. But the principles remain the same, which is why when we read Habakkuk and Hosea and Zephaniah, that we can apply the truths in their moment of time and space to our existing time and space if we see the essence, the spirit of what they are saying. Because us and our location of time and space changes. I I believe the Huber family having trouble with that. That there's something they're not seeing. They are entangled in something that keeps them from seeing the truth. And so, if, if you read in, in Matthew uh, twenty-two fifteen, now we're dealing with a new language. We've, we've shifted by thousands of years. We see them say, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they're talking about, you know, Jesus and even John the Baptist, that they, they might get him into trouble... In his talk. And they use a particular word for entanglement there. That uh, is, uh, you know, like I say, the Greek word that means ensnare or entrap. Now, there are other Greek words that we see, like in Galatians, that talk about entanglement. But it's a different word. It's a completely uh, different word, as a matter of fact. it's uh, It has to do with... Uh, uh, like a coral 
that you you get into an argument. And uh, so in Galatia, when it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's using a particular word there that actually means to... uh, uh, well, it's actually translated one place as having a quarrel with, or an urge, or entangled. So it only really shows up about three times. That particular word, there are other forms of that word that show up more often. And that's actually in the Greek, a composite of two words. But the actual definition is to have within, to hold in, to be held, to be entangled, to be ensnared. So when they talk about it being a quarrel, that really doesn't fit. But that's the way they translated it in in another verse in the Bible. But uh, they're talking about being snared in a yoke of bondage. Well, we were in a yoke of bondage in Egypt. Which is going back to Exodus where it was talking about Pharaoh. Talking about this yoke of bondage. If we go all the way back to Exodus uh, and go to verse 1... We'll see that, uh, and this is in chapter 14 of Exodus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children. This is an important thing. Moses was rightfully the ruler of the people. He actually owned the people. He was the actual Moses. They called him Moses because he was drawn from the water, but he was actually this, he, he could have been the Pharaoh. But he chose to set the people free rather than turn the people into servants of Moses. So he was supposed to speak to the people, not rule over them. There was a hierarchy here. Moses was the rightful ruler of the people. But he wasn't going to rule by force. He was going to rule by reason. And the reason I mention that is because that's going to be important when we talk about hierarchy in the family. Because when we say hierarchy, people are thinking higher authority, force, and exercising authority. But that's not really true. Hierarchy can mean reason. You have a more reasonable position, a more reasonable view. You can see the target more clearly. But anyway, so he speaks to the children of Israel that they turn... And in camp, before this uh, Piharoth, which is actual, um, it's it's a it is an actual name of a place, but it also has to do with uh, symbols. But we won't go into those symbols, or we'll get too distracted. But this is between uh, Migdol and the sea, and. They they go over there against this, but it says, For the Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. Uh, the wilderness hath shut them in. And uh, that word that he uses, entangled there, is actually this, this word that means confused. But it could mean trapped. Uh, or at least you could interpret it that way. But it actually means confused or perplexed. They don't know where to go. But it was actually part of the plan to put them in this place. Uh, 
So the reality is is that today we're seeing all kinds of things going on in the news. And uh, we see mandates in all these different countries. And life is getting more and more difficult because of the shutdowns. we got millions of people that are actually going hungry. Millions upon millions of people that have been financially devastated by the shutdowns. More deaths have been caused by the shutdowns probably than by actual coronavirus. And they're not done yet. And people are still going along and trying to figure out because they're confused. And you see people, somebody was on a program called The View, which is just, I just saw a clip from it. I wouldn't be caught watching The View (laughs) for anything. But they were quoting the CDC and the people actually shut off their mic because it was going against their narrative and their, you know, but the CDC has stated that the vaccines don't give you immunity to the virus. And that's even Pfizer and, and Moderna explained that their vaccines do not give you immunity to the virus. They give you immunity to the symptoms caused by the virus. You can still get the virus. You can still Pass it on to somebody else. Just basic logic would tell you that those vaccines will never provide herd immunity. Because you can still give, get the disease and pass it on to other people. That That's their claim. That's what the CDC says. This person was just quoting that. And it did not fit the narrative of those crazy ladies on the view. <laughs> so they cut her mic off. And But that's how you get to the point where people cannot see the truth, is that you don't want to have the conversation. That you, you would rather, you know, like put your, like the three monkeys, you see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil. They, they simply put their hands over their ears and they don't hear the, the evil, but that's because the evil becomes, uh, or, or the good, the truth, becomes evil. And so they don't want to hear it because it contradicts or contradicts their opinion of the truth. Their truth, what people call their truth. Because it becomes, and this is of course what happened to Kyle is that he was putting out fires and the criminals wanted to start fires. (laughs) And so Kyle became a criminal in their eyes and therefore he, they as vigilantes had to go and attack him. But the parents can't see it. They sit right there and they can't see it because they're entangled in something. They're in a yoke of bondage or confusion that they can't see the truth that is right in front of them. You know, and they they go on and and vowed to fight to hold those responsible for Anthony Hubert's death accountable uh, and continues in full force. So they're vowing that they get some sort of vengeance for their son, I guess, that they call it justice. Neither Mr. Rittenhouse nor Kenosha police who authorized his bloody rampage will escape justice. The police, 
by orders from above, authorized the rampage of Antony. <laughs> and, and these other people who were attacking Kyle. They're the ones who author it, but the parents can't see that. Yeah, these people were not out there protesting any police brutality. They were just out causing trouble. They were criminals. The parents can't see that. And so I actually wrote uh, a comment on this ABC thing. People who are not willing to see the truth make poor parents. And, And you make poor anything. Poor ministers, you know, like... Uh, Franklin, I think he makes a poor minister of the gospel. He ministers something, but it's not the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, their cognitive dissonance uh, undoubtedly contributed to the violent behavior of their son, which got him shot. If only the son uh, had stuck to beating women, he might still be alive. And of course, that's that was the crimes that he had been convicted of, is beating women. And uh, the other guy, the first guy that died, had been uh, out there uh, uh, molesting children. And the other one had actually slugged his grandmother once and was charged with that and uh, and was also convicted of burglary. And so these are the guys that were attacking... Kyle, there was another guy attacking him, but they never revealed his name in the course of the trial. Supposedly, they didn't know it, but he actually, they actually did know it and never revealed it to the defense attorneys, which, in my opinion, was a, a violation of the court rules, and therefore, the, those guys should actually be disbarred, in my opinion, the district attorneys, for withholding such information, because... Kyle was being accused of attacking uh, or endangering this guy who tried to kick Kyle in the head. I guess he did kick Kyle in the head. Uh, and Kyle fired a shot in the air, didn't shoot the guy. And uh, they said reckless endangerment. They were charging him with that. They knew who the guy was and never revealed that information to uh, the defense attorneys. That's a violation of law because they have to reveal the information that they have so that Kyle can face his accuser because that's who he was accused of recklessly endangering. But they didn't want that guy on the stand. Uh, they, they actually knew who he was and they're actually prosecuting him for spires. He had started that night. But anyway, all this stuff, it just, it's, it's, uh, Crazy the way in which the media is is doing all this stuff, uh, and uh, and what they're they're doing um, now that the, some of these parents are actually going to go after and evidently try to sue Kyle for wrongful death. That it'll be very hard since he was just you know uh, found not guilty of murdering them. They're still using the term, and the media is still using the term. Uh, but this all just contributes to this confusion in their minds. And the reason we're looking at this is there's confusion in other people's minds about 
what the gospel really is telling us, what Christ is really telling us, what Moses was really telling us. And in order to understand them, will be helpful in understanding what Zephaniah is telling us, or what Habakkuk has already told us, and what we've already gone through on Habakkuk. Uh, even the President of the United States came out and said, while the verdict in Kenosha will leave many Americans feeling angry, many Americans are angry whether that, no matter what you have as a verdict, and concerned, myself included, we must acknowledge that the jury has spoken. Why would you be angry that somebody who was being attacked defended himself against a brutal attack? Why would that make you angry? But anyway, he remained steadfast in his commitment to do everything in his power to ensure that every American is treated equally with fairness and dignity under the law. Well, I think that happened almost, except for the fact it should have never gone to trial. But anyway, we're going to come back in a minute and look at some of these other things and get more in depth. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, the one of the other statements that I, I read in the, that same report was from uh, this Democratic governor, Tony Evers, uh, who came out. Now, this is the guy who was part of the getting the police to stand down and let the rioters have their way. And and we're not talking about protesters peacefully, <laughs> mostly peacefully, marching through, complaining about this uh, uh, death of uh, Blake, who, who was charging people with a knife, who had been beating, also, you know, this was a criminal, who had been threatening and was trying to kidnap a child and and uh, come running out with a knife, threatening both the women and the police, and, and Blake got shot uh, in, in this process uh, of criminality. I mean, are we supposed to let him stab a couple of people before we take action? No. This is it's ridiculous. And, like I said, there were protesters out there who was standing against the violence. But the police were not allowed to stand against the violence. And the governor withheld sending, you know, they, they make excuses now, but they withheld sending uh, troops. Now they've got troops outside the courthouse. I don't know. They did at least before the verdict. Uh, and they probably still need them there. But they need them there because all across the country... Uh, Democrats, and I'm going to blame the Republicans as well, because I don't I don't think that there's a good side and a bad side. I just think there's a worse side and a bad side, and uh, have been giving license to people to go out. And it used to be, you know, that you could have protests and, you know, carry signs, and you had to keep moving. You couldn't block the sidewalks. Now you get to block freeways. You get to block ambulances trying to take heart patients uh, to the hospital. Uh, or bullet wounded people to the hospital, you can block them and that's supposedly protest. No, that's murder. And that was never tolerated before. But now all of a sudden, I guess it's okay. And, and it's insane. And this Wisconsin uh, Governor Tony Evers is one of these insane people. But he goes on now and he says, no birdie will be able to bring back the lives of Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum 
or heel gauge uh, gross uh, crutes uh, injuries. Just as no verdict can heal the wounds of trauma experienced by Jacob Blake and his family. No ruling today changes our reality in Wisconsin that we have work to do towards equity, accountability, and justice uh, that, that communities across the state are demanding and deserve. Well, what about the justice of the people whose businesses were destroyed and the people who were attacked? What about the justice to the woman who was having her baby kidnapped by Jacob Blake? And and the police officers who were threatened by Jacob Blake charging them with a knife. I mean, he knew they had guns and he brought a knife to a gunfight. But there's a lack of conscious. There's a confusion. Like people don't seem to get it. That you don't, you can't, don't attack somebody. Don't attack somebody with lethal force, especially if they have a gun. You know, we have a kind of joke out here, but it's true that you know we have sheep that we leave out on the desert, but we put them in a pen at night because the fields are full of coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions. And now wolves, thanks to fish and wildlife, and uh, they will kill the sheep. They will eat them. <laughs> they will tear them to pieces and devour them. There would be no sheep out there if we just let them go. So we bring them in a pen at night. They actually put themselves away. They will come in on their own because they know it's getting dark. We got to get out of here because it's going to get nasty out here. Uh, they don't seem to be entangled in the wilderness when it comes to. Uh, getting dark. Although the other night, the other day, uh, they stayed out too late. And uh, I had started them back because I saw them staying out. It was, the sun was already down and it was getting darker and darker. And I started them back and I went out and laid out some grain for them so that when they come in, they have a little grain before they... And they didn't show up. They didn't come. They actually turned around, went back down to a little spot in a field that they seem to really like, and there's a reason for that, but we won't go into that now. But anyway, they went back to that. Now, they'd been out for hours and hours and hours. They were full. They were just messing around. And so I went back out there, and I I honked my horn and said, get back, get up there, you know, it's getting dark, you know. It was still a little bit of light out. Well, it got completely dark before they made it back. And then, of course, once it's completely dark, sheep don't see well in the dark. Neither do Christians. They don't see well in the dark either. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they don't, if they wait around too long and they stay in darkness, it gets darker before it gets light again. And so they stop. They stop moving because they can't see. It's too dark. They, they don't, they don't have flashlights with them. Well, I had walked down this time and I turned off the flashlight and I figured where they were and, uh, and uh, got closer and closer. Then I turned on the flashlight so they could see ahead of them. You didn't point it at them. You pointed it ahead of them. And they could see the bushes ahead of them. And so they walked to those bushes. And then they walked to it a little bit farther. <laughs> and uh, eventually they got to the gate where the corral is. And then I could hear them running at that point because they saw something that they could recognize. Uh, because it was just pitch dark. There was no moon or anything. The moon hadn't come up. And I guess it was overcast too. 
So anyway, they ran in, but that's the problem with putting things off. They knew they had to get back. They they put themselves away. I just haven't taught them how to shut the gate yet because uh, I have to go up there and shut the gate. But uh, they put it off too long and they got trapped in the darkness and they couldn't see anything. And so they were staying there in the bushes. Well, coyotes are real good at seeing in the dark and so are bobcats. So that they were not safe in the in the cuddling it together in the darkness. But anyway... The joke was is that we used to leave a radio playing country western music and we always said that that kept them safe because coyotes knew that where there was country western music, there was a cowboy around somewhere with a thirty thirty. So they the sheep were always safe when we played that music. <laughs> I don't know what it did to their mental capacity. But Christians delay as well. They're, they're comfortable or they get busy or they do other things. And we saw these excuses that Christ was making. Yeah, yeah, Christ, we know you've got the solution. We're going to come and join with you. But first we got to go do this. <laughs> and, and first we got to go do that. And no, no, you better tend to business because it's getting darker and darker and darker. And, uh, with people like Governor Tony Evers out there talking about equity and accountability, but himself, he's not accountable for the fact that he held back policemen who wanted to bring peace to the demonstration and allowed criminals. It's amazing that all these people were criminals involved in this shooting except for Kyle. You know, they tried to say that Kyle, you know, he crossed state lines with a gun. They dropped those charges because he, that wasn't illegal, what he did. That was legal for him to be in that state with that rifle at that time. That was a legal rifle, and it was good he had it, because if he hadn't had it, he probably would have been killed by people bashing his brains in. And uh, because these were criminals who were used to hitting women and grandmothers and uh, and molesting and raping children, multiple counts of molesting children. This was the kind of people that were there on the street. Now, again, there were protesters who were defending property. But they are, they're too few. <laughs> these other guys were running rampant. And the reason why is that we've gone too long not taking that accountability and responsibility back. And what we're going to eventually get into in this long approach to enmeshment and uh, and the money changers and mammon, because we started a little bit of a series on mammon. We released that podcast uh, this week uh, for people to hear. Uh, but I've I've gone back to our page on money changers explaining a little bit clearer. I've added another page called Porters because the money changers were porters of the temple. And that word porters comes from a Latin word. And so understanding what the money changers were actually doing and understanding the string whip that Jesus made and what he was doing, I can guarantee you... your understanding, if you've only been listening to the commentaries that have been out there for the last hundred years, you did not understand 
what Jesus was doing. You did not understand what the money changers were doing. You did not understand the corruption of the money changers. You do not understand the corruption of mammon that made a mammon of unrighteousness. Because there is a mammon of righteousness too. As well as a mammon of unrighteousness, which is why they add that phrase in the context of the scriptures. By looking around and relating these so that you're not just looking at the Bible as sound bites. Because I could quote just little phrases in the Bible and they will trigger ideas that are pre-existing in your mind put there by men who have been presenting a false Christ to you. If you don't understand why Jesus made a string whip and went in there, why Jesus was sitting on the left side and what he was looking at while he was sitting at the left side and why was he there? He was the mountain. That's what he was. According to the Hebrew language, there was a particular officer that is in uh, the temple that is called a mountain. And he's actually the head of the porters. And he can actually, if he finds one of the porters, because part of the job of the porters is to protect the treasury of the temple. Now, the treasury of the temple, at least in one place in the Bible, is, is we see in the Greek the word Corbin, and it's translated treasury. Corbin doesn't actually mean treasury. Corbin means sacrifice. But what do you put in the treasury is the sacrifice of the people. And you, you put the sacrifice of the people in there to help provide the welfare of the needy of society in the practice of pure religion. Pure religion is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, unspotted by the world. And that's a particular word as well. So, religion is how you take care of the needy. The treasury is what they often depended upon to take care of the needy. Not like the world today. They don't depend upon the treasury. They have... People just printing money, borrowing against the future. In other words, you know, somebody said uh, they're spending our money to do these things. I said they're not spending your money. They're spending your children's money. (laughs) Because they're so in debt, you're never going to pay it off. It's going to be your children and your children's children trying to pay it off. And they'll be born in debt with the money that they're spending today. But I heard from the Mr. Biden that that's okay, that, uh, you know, the, all this debt and inflation that is coming behind it, that's a good thing. So, I guess that's a good thing, because <laughs> he said so. <laughs> like, the vaccinations are a good thing. And, uh, which, you know, just to, just to give you a, just a brief idea. Now, here, somebody said... And people will try to censor this, but they can't because this is from the top. He said, uh, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalization. 
and to some extent death, which is starting to now involve all ages, all age groups. It isn't just the elderly. Now, who is saying that? Waning of immunity amongst the vaccinated. Who would dare say that? That's Anthony Fauci. (laughs) Anthony Fauci. You know, uh, White House COVID advisor, Anthony Fauci, MD. Uh, He said it in a New York Times uh, podcast on November 12th, 2021. And, And I have links to it on a page at Preparing You so that you can go listen to it. I have links on that same page also to other uh, audios and videos of people like Dr. Malone, who was the inventor of mRNA uh, idea of using mRNA to deliver certain messages in the body. Now, he's not pro-vaccine. He's, he's really against the vaccine. He actually took the vaccine, but he he did it so he could travel and go around and speak against the vaccine. <laughs> so, and so that's uh, somebody who sacrificed himself uh, so that he could go around and speak about this. He started a foundation, just to give you an idea who he is, he started a foundation with his own money to study and research certain drugs that protect you like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and stuff like that. Drugs that they already know are safe to repurpose them for other things. And um, so he started a, a company to actually do that because you can't get money to repurpose these drugs because they're no longer under patent because they've been around for so long. So they're cheap to produce. I mean, it's only a few dollars for ivermectin, and it seems to work better than um, some of these other things that, like Fauci came up with, that cost like three to six thousand dollars for a treatment of uh, uh, remdesivir, uh, which actually I know people that remdesivir is killed because it causes kidney failure, and that's what the people died of was kidney failure. And there was nothing wrong with their kidneys before they took remdesivir. <laughs> but there was certainly afterwards. But anyway, Fauci says that the immunity is waning. You know, the mo- one of the most vaccinated locations in the world is the Rock of Gibraltar. Gibraltar, there along the entry to the Mediterranean. I mean, they got like 99% vaccinated. They, they're shutting down. That They're shutting down everything for the upcoming holidays because they have all these so-called breakthrough cases because you can still get sick. You can still get the virus even though you're vaccinated and you can still spread it to others. And testimony from top scientists is that all of the variants are coming from the vaccinated, which we were warned about from the very beginning. That's why they... The, the advice from the top epidemiologists in the in the world is that you don't give a vaccine during an epidemic. And there's a question as to whether this is even an actual qualified vaccine. Although they've changed the definition now, so that you can you can now call it a vaccine. And we can explain that later in another show, probably an afternoon show or something. But 
what we want to see is that he's saying that it's waning now. Of course, that was predicted as well. We've shared with people on our network the actual studies. It's not my opinion. I actually, you know, post links to the actual studies so you can read them yourself. Because we're not interested in my truth. We're interested in the truth. And, of course, these studies now, you have to always remember, we point out, these studies are the result of observation, but they're also interpretation. Because we've actually posted some studies, and I, I say why I think it's a bad study, and explain that. Because I don't have any authority to tell you what to believe. I can only speak to you. I can have the conversation. And that's why on this page that I'm talking about... We have some audios, uh, or actually videos even, of people having the conversation. Uh, Brett Weinstein and, and uh, Robert Malone and another guy, I can't remember his name right now, but he's a millionaire who's put up his own money to do testing. Now, he went and got the vaccine. Now he's finding all these people that are having terrible, terrible problems because they got the vaccine. And we have Fauci here telling us that the immunity that they supposedly imparted to you, which is only an immunity to severe symptoms to prevent hospitalization, is waning. It's disappearing. It's going away. And he's telling people it's going away. He even went on to say, it's it's waning to the point that you're seeing more and more people getting breakthrough infections and more and more of those people who are getting breakthrough infections, that means people who have gotten the vaccinations, are winding up in the hospital. Now, of course, the Japanese study that we uh, presented says that this, this is the problem with this so-called vaccinating vaccine approach this mrna vaccine approach is that the the immunity it does impart to symptoms is is going to wane they knew this early on they did whole studies showing this early on because see you're all a part of an experiment fauci even went on to say i think that the boosting is going to be absolutely essential component of our response, not a bonus, not a luxury, but an absolute essential part of the program. And I have a link to this interview. And in the interview, he makes it very clear that he is absolutely for forced vaccinations of everybody. He came out just the other day, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, I heard it yesterday, and was stating that now we can give these vaccinations to infants. And then, you know, well, why not? Why not? Well, you're creating a dependence upon the vaccination. And you're debilitating your natural immune system. And that this seems to have... It's illogical to even force this because it's, you're never going to get to herd, herd immunity. So it stands a reason that this is only for people who think that they need it and should not be forced. And just all the rational and reasonable people are explaining this, but like the women on The View who will cut off your mic if you actually quote the CDC, say we have to listen to the CDC in the same breath. You know, 
This is cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, again, is holding two ideas in your mind at the same time that are contradictory. You know, you should only quote the CDC, and because you're quoting the CDC, we're going to cut off your mic. You know, I follow the science, they say, but Pfizer just came out and said that they want to put off sharing how they came to their vaccine, how they produced it, how they concluded that it is a vaccine, which it isn't, by their own definition, the original definition, and we can show you where they changed it, uh, for 50 years, 55 years. They don't want to tell you how they came to produce this for 55 years. In 55 years, then you can follow the science. Till then, you have to take your word, their word for it. It's it's crazy. It's insane. Uh, so they're not following the science, and if you try to follow the science, they cut your mic, they censor you. Something else is going on here. There is a love for darkness. They don't want to have the conversation. They want to keep you in darkness. Well, unfortunately, if you stay in darkness, you're going to get eat up, ate up, swallowed up, destroyed. You cannot stay out in the field in the darkness. You want to be like Zephaniah and be hidden by the Lord, not hidden in the darkness, because you don't know what's out in the darkness. So anyway, so where we're going to go with this is besides, you know, I mentioned a little bit about the money changers. And like I said, you can go and look at these articles at preparingyou.com. And I'm still working on them. And I'm still working on Zephaniah. And I, like I say, I added the whole chapter on the porters. And in the porters, in the article of the porters, there I was starting to mention this before. And then we got a little rabbit trail there, but we're back again. Like I say, rabbits always run in circles and they come back to where they were before. There is this guy who is the head of the porters and he is the man of the mountain of the house. So that's what his name is. Maomonides. That's what he was called. And he, if he went around, like I say, the porters, they, they received the donations that came up through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They also, you know, once those do, do donations that came up there, which was, you know, you, you donated to your minister down there of ten, which is a synagogue. A synagogue was ten families. And he gave a portion of his, what he received in donations to his minister. And his minister gave a portion of what he received to his minister. And eventually you get up to the temple. Because it's tens, hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, hundred thousands, etc. Because it's this pattern of tens. And that's what arrived at the temple. And it arrived at the temple to the porters, who were the gatekeepers. That you could bring this in. And then, of course, it wasn't just to sit there. It was to maybe go out because there may be a greater need over here. So anywhere along this network, if there was, you know, if you were a minister to ten ministers, and there was a greater need in one of those congregations, you could send aid to that congregation. So it's kind of like your body. If you start running, more blood goes to your legs. 
if you start eating, more blood goes to your stomach. And so it makes a body of the nation and it keeps them healthy. So who is this Maomonitis? Well, we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So who is this uh, guy who is uh, walking around <laughs> in the temple and is the head of the porters and what is he supposed to do? I mean, we supposedly see Jesus taking a string whip. But what did this other guy do that we call Maomonidas, which means the man of the mountain of the house? And uh, that's that's what it meant. And, and you can read about different ones who were given that title uh, in Jewish folklore. But uh, the reality is the king trumped that since the days of King David. Because King David, what did he appoint, like 4,000 porters to be in the temple, to be these porters. And there's an actual word that uh, is translated into porters. But, uh, and, and we could go into that at another time. But uh, he walked around in the temple, which was, or in the tabernacle originally. And uh, this mountain of the house this man of the mountain of the house. And again, remember when we were talking about mountains, the mountain of truth, uh, Samaria. Uh, the mountain of Samaria is the mountain of truth. And I said, you're, for a lot of people, their mountain of truth is ABC and CNN and, and these guys who are telling them lies all the time and distorting the truth, telling them their truth. And uh, so your mountains are failing you. Well, this Maomonides should have been, whoever he was at the time of John the Baptist, should have been going around and telling uh, the Pharisees who were setting up this program of social welfare through Herod, where people signed up and then they had to pay, and it was no longer free will offerings. He should have been telling people that this is, this is a bad thing. This is wrong. This is not according to the biblical structure. And... Uh, and teachings. But evidently he didn't. And maybe he was one of the guys who walked out with the Sanhedrin before uh, Jesus came along when John the Baptist was still a little boy. And uh, But anyway, what he could do is he'd walk around and if he found any of the guards who were supposed to be guarding the temple and guarding the treasury that is in there, and it's not supposed to be a big treasury, it's supposed to be flowing in and flowing out. You know, if if the, what your contribution is representing the blood of your sacrifice, it uh, you don't want to accumulate it in a big treasury vault because that's called an aneurysm. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> and uh, besides, Jesus warns against that. Thieves and robbers will break in and steal from you. But there is some funds passing through there, like, goes to the porters and the porters redistributed as it is needed throughout the nation. And if there's a greater need, they tell the people and the greater amount supposedly comes up. Just like your body, when you start to run, blood will stop going some places and start going other places in your body. Or when you eat or when you sleep, it is regulating. And this is the structure of the kingdom to allow for that regulation, which is what we're going to get into when we talk about enmeshment. 
the porters were a part of that regulation. But when you allowed them to force the offerings of the people with Gabai and Molkai uh, pastors who became literally the IRS of the regime of Herod, then you changed the whole structure of society. But anyway, as he walked around, if he found any of the guards sleeping, he could actually strike them. And according to the writings of that time, he could actually set their garments on fire. Uh, and that's what it says. And Now, I question whether he could actually do that. Maybe it's like a hot foot or something like that. And it may be lost in translation, but supposedly he had the authority to do that. This mountain of the house, the man of the mountain of the house. And of course that may explain what we read in Revelation 16.5, I think it is. Uh, is that where we read it? I was trying to think of where we... Uh, yeah, at least in the, here's a New International Standard. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. So that may be a reference to the fact that, you know, Christ is not going to set your garments on fire (laughs) because he found you awake. If he finds you sleeping, he can set your garments on fire. Well, things are going to be happening. Anyway, and uh, and it will rain on the just and the unjust alike. And uh, I was looking at uh, the. Let's see, there was another quote in here in Psalms. Yeah, is that right? In Psalms one thirty four. That's a really short Psalm. <laughs> one thirty four. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth. Bless thee out of Zion. So they equate that with that same one where he's going to find you awake in the house. And you don't want to be caught out there in the darkness. Uh, where you can't find your way to the sheepfold of Christ. So, one of the things I want to encourage everybody to do is to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, and we have a way in which you can start doing that by joining the network, which is just an email network, or joining with those people who are on the network, and start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Some people are wondering... Why I don't have all these conversations on the network? Because I'm on all these groups. I see all the things that pass. And people are saying, well, where is everybody? Why why aren't people conversing on these network email groups? Well, they're based on geography. So if you're in Texas, you're going to get the Texas ones. If you're you're in the Carolinas, you'll get the Carolina ones. But the reality is that they're not conversation groups. They're to help you find a couple of people and start forming congregations. Then you got to go out and find the other people that you're going to join in these congregations. You may be in different towns because you're covering a whole state. But you still form those congregations until you find all the people in between. And then you can actually form the tens, hundreds, and thousands. 
And the, the purpose of this is to follow the structure of the kingdom. And that is ten families gathered together. Pick a minister who is not to rule over their soul. He's not to be their comforter. He's not to tickle their ears. He's to connect them with nine other family groups in a hundred family group. And then they, those ten ministers pick a minister and they gather with, you know, because they're literally ministered to a hundred by way of these others. To create the circulatory system of love and charity in a kingdom fashion rather than in isolated little congregations. Because you're not, if you're just thinking about your congregation with a lot of catchy rhetoric from a pulpit, you're not thinking kingdom. Because it was absolutely essential as things broke down and volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. There were earthquakes that lasted for Huge periods of time. Buildings fell down everywhere in Rome and in the Roman Empire. And famine. So how do you take care of the widows and orphans if you don't have a system of tens, hundreds, and thousands? Uh, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not thinking kingdom. You're thinking my little congregation. You don't want to be doing that. So you will eventually need porters. And it's bottom up. So it's the individual's. See, this is one of the things about sheep on the desert, range sheep, not farm sheep that are used to the fences, but range sheep where right now the gate is open out there on the field. (laughs) I heard my wife go out to let out the sheep because I'm not out there. I'm here talking to you guys. You're free to go. You know, she'll open the gate and they'll go out there and the the outside gate to the property and there's not even fence all the way around the whole property. They could get out anytime they want. But they know their safety and they will stick together. We had two bummer sheep that we kept. And uh, we put them in. They were raised with a bull, a calf. Actually, it ended up being a steer. But we had uh, twins and we had an orphan. And uh, he would get milk and the two bummers would get milk. And they stayed together. We knew they were safe at night because they were sleeping with him. <laughs> But the problem is, is as they got older, now we have to incorporate them with the rest of the herd. They still want to follow cows because they're not sure they're a sheep. But when we first brought them out there, it took a little while. Uh, They eventually figured it out. And that learning to stay together as a flock was very important. And they have to learn it. I can only speak to them that it's a good idea. They have to learn it. Before things get really bad, before it gets really dark. So, in order, the fact is, is that people are sitting in darkness right now because of this cognitive dissonance. Where they've held two ideas in their mind at the same time that are contradictory. This is why we show you so many things about the gospel and the epistles. Where, yeah, all you have to do is believe to be saved, but when Paul uses that word believe, it meant believing in the real Christ. Christ tells you there'll be false Christ, false images of Christ. People who give you their opinion of Christ. It's not the real Christ. It's not the real target. And you get this false image and you're not going to understand the gospel of the kingdom. 
Because the gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of the family. Because that's what the kingdom is uh, composed of. It's composed of families that sit down in the tens, in ranks of tens, in patterns of tens, until they're hundreds, until they're thousands, until they're 20,000, 30,000. And they sit down in order to practice pure religion, which is a welfare system that takes care of you through faith, hope, and charity. Because there's a welfare system out there that does not take care of you through charity. It takes care of you through forced offerings. And Peter talks about it. In Peter, Second Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world, and he uses the word there, world, that means constitutional order and system of government. That's the definition in the concordance. Having escaped the pollution of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's knowing the real Jesus Christ and doing what the real Jesus Christ said to do. Because why why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Jesus says that. Why do you call him Lord when you don't keep his commandments? Which is to love one another, not covet one another's goods. Through men who exercise authority. He said it's not to be that way with you. Franklin Graham does that. Billy Graham did that. Uh, I was trying to think of the other guys' names, but I'm bad at names. I can't think of all the other preachers that everybody thinks is so real popular. They go to men who exercise authority one over the other to provide the needy for their congregations. To provide the needs for their widows, for their orphans, for the needy of their society. Christ said it's not to be that way with us. It is that way with Franklin. So Franklin is sitting in darkness about Christ. Yet he says he's a preacher of Jesus Christ. But he's not doing what Christ said. He's doing the opposite of what Christ said. So no wonder he doesn't know that Jesus would not have got the vaccination. Because he doesn't know Jesus. And I don't want to pick on poor Franklin because it's not important what Franklin does wrong, which I said at the beginning. It's not important what Franklin doesn't see. Except to Franklin. It's very important to Franklin. But it's not important to you. You don't need to know that and judge poor Franklin. God will be judged. What you need to know is what you don't see. What you aren't doing that Christ said to do. What Christ commanded to do. Because if you're not doing it, you don't really believe in Christ. If you don't know he commanded it, you don't know Christ. You know some Christ, some image of Christ that was given to you. But you don't know the Christ. So anyway, like I said, Peter says in this Second Peter 2.20, Forever after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. And the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Well, the welfare of the Pharaoh put Israel in bondage 
for 400 years. Now, they, they had to depend upon the bondage of Pharaoh and the welfare of Pharaoh because they cast their own brother into bondage. They were willing to, they were willing to make a slave of their brother. Fortunately, they didn't kill their brother, but they were willing to make a slave of their brother, so they themselves went into slavery. If you desire benefits from the men who exercise authority one over the other, you are willing to make your brother a slave. Because your leaders, your Mr. Biden is going to force your neighbor and your neighbor's children to pay for what you want. To give you a stimulus check, to give you free schooling, Medicare, Medicaid, all these things are coming to you by way of men who exercise authority one over the other. So you know those benefits are the unrighteous famine. The rewards of unrighteousness, of a covetous practice. Which Peter tells you will make you merchandise. Peter's very clear about that. And of course, that's, that's the whole story from Zephaniah to Moses. That that's, that's what makes you merchandise. That's what brings you into bondage. Uh, and, and Peter goes on to say, For it had been better for them not to have known the way, the way is what Christ, what Christianity was called, the way of righteousness, than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them, which is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. What happens when you become accustomed to coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, you turn into perfect savages and you end up going out in the streets and setting fire to your neighbor's business and beating up young men who put the fire out because he's a criminal. He had the audacity of putting out the fire you started. And so your streets are now running rampant with perfect savages. And you're not allowed to defend yourself, supposedly, according to some people. Today, somebody got away with defending themselves. I don't know if he really got away with it. He was put in jail for a long period of time. They spent a fortune on this trial. DA doesn't care about how much. I mean, the taxpayer lost in this deal. Tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars was spent for something that should have never even gone to trial. But anyway, Peter goes on to say, But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I have a page up called The Mire at Preparing You. You can look that up. And you you need to understand what 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 is going on here. This entangling. Uh, of the individual in this yoke of bondage that has come about because of corruption. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. That That's... That's what Peter says. And before that he said, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, 
They allure through the lust of the flesh, those desire for benefits, through much wantonness. You can look up wantonness at preparing you. We have a whole study on that. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. What error? The error that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. If you really want to have free education for your kids. If you want to have Medicare. If you want to have Medicare and Medicaid. And and you want to have all these free benefits. It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods then, I guess. At least that's what they're telling you. But the table they're setting is a snare. That's what entangles you again in that yoke of bondage. So when Jesus came along with his string whip, he wasn't tipping tables over. You know, the same word for tables is the same word for bank in the, in the Greek. It's the same, I mean, still today. Trapezia. That's what you call a bank. Because that's what it meant. That's what it, it's even translated bank in the Bible. Same word, same exact word. So was he turning over the banks? Or was he turning over the table? And when we get to phase two of this pandemic, which evidently there, I mean, people are starting to catch on. You know, I mean, the protests that were going on in Austria and the protests in these other places, uh, they're getting a lot of support. But they just want to get as many people, now they're vaccinating children down to five, and now Fauci came out and said that you can vaccinate down to infancy. And we're... What's wrong with that? Then they're all safe, right? They're all immune. No, they're not. It's waning already. But you don't know what's actually going on. You know, if you go back to verse 15 in Peter, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The error of Balaam is the error of the Nicolaitan. Both words, one in Hebrew, the other in Greek, mean the conquered people. Has nothing to do with some guy named Nicholas. It has to do with the fact that you love the wages of unrighteousness. You can look that up at preparing you and find out what the wages of righteousness is. Unrighteousness is. That's all those benefits. But you were rebuked for his iniquity, and I am rebuking you for your iniquity. You need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands while there is still light to find one another and gather together in that network of the kingdom of God and His righteousness so that you are not fooled and end up having parts of your heart cut out by surgeons because you went and got the vaccination. When it, when we talk about, we'll probably do it in the afternoon program because I doubt we have enough time to get into it. I will talk to you about the uh, this waning immunity because you're you're putting off seeking the kingdom of God. You've had immunity to that for a long time, well to some degree. Some of you have suffered dearly because you've put it off, but that immunity is also waning. You're running out of time. The sun is going down. You're still out in the fields. The scattered flock. 
at least my sheep actually gather together, so it was easy to get them back to the pen. <laughs> but you guys are still a scattered flock. And they can shut down. I mean, there were tens of thousands of people that were dealing with vaccine injury, and they were on a Facebook group. And overnight, they just shut down the entire group. All those people can't see each other anymore. They can't find each other. If they had not made other alternative ways of finding one another, which most of them hadn't, they lost all contact. The same with with groups about shedding. And now, you know, so people are going on things like Telegram. I'm on Telegram. And they're using these. But you you need a completely different network. Because all this can go down overnight. And there's so much you have to learn on how to be a free society. Because you haven't been practicing it for an awful long time. So anyway, maybe in the afternoon show we'll go into this where, what is happening to that waning immunity. And we'll be quoting Hosea to explain it to you because I quoted it to somebody on Facebook yesterday. And it just fits so apropos. But anyway, we'll have to wait till then. So join us at the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.